Hi, and welcome to Beyond Prisons, a podcast on incarceration and prison abolition. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Wilson. In this episode, Brian and I are joined by Adrienne Marie Brown to talk about her recent book, Holding Change, The Way of Emergent Strategy, Facilitation, and Mediation. We talk about the structure of the book, Black feminist wisdom, breath work as a facilitation practice, the importance of setting boundaries, the need to remain open to new ideas, and moving with grief. Adrian Marie Brown is the author of Grievers, the first in her novella series with the Black Dawn imprint. Holding Change, The Way of Emergent Strategy, Facilitation and Mediation, We Will Not Cancel Us and Other Dreams of Transformative Justice, Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good, Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, and co-editor of Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction from Social Justice Movements. She's the co-host of the How to Survive the End of the World and Octavia's Parables podcast. Adrian is rooted in Durham. We hope you find this episode useful. Thank you uh, so much for joining us for this conversation. Um, it's really wonderful to have a chance to talk to you and to talk about this book here, uh, Holding Change, The Way of Emergent Strategy, uh, Facilitation and Mediation. Um, I think just to kind of start things off a little bit, um, if you could tell people a little bit about yourself and how you uh, sort of arrived at writing a book like this. And um, Mm. in particular, I would love to hear your thoughts about like, who was this book compiled for? And like, what was the impetus behind this, you know, particular work um, Mm -hmm. that you compiled here? Beautiful. Um, well, hi. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here with you all. Um, my name is Adrian Marie Brown, and I am um, a writer who has been doing social justice facilitation and mediation work for over 25 years now. So I, I wrote this book, Holding Change, because I had been doing social justice facilitation for a long time, and I'd gotten to a place where people regularly called me um, asking me to come facilitate things and there was a lot more than I could cover and I have a lot of people that I'm in community with that I also know to be amazing facilitators and I thought it could be useful to create a text that really grounds people in emergent strategy facilitation methods and maybe I should say a word about that emergent strategy is uh, a way of understanding getting in right relationship with change, um, getting in right relationship with change, being in relationship with nature, learning from the natural world, remembering that we too are of the natural world and that we have rhythms and we have patterns and we have things that really help us thrive and things that really don't. Um, and what does it look like to bring that into a room full of human beings trying to create change together? Um, so that's, that's sort of where I come into this. I've, I've written a number of books. Um, Emergent Strategy was published in 2017. And that's another reason why I wanted to do Holding Change is after Emergent Strategy came out, a lot of people were like, okay, I get the ideas mm-hmm. and I'm working with these ideas, but how do I apply them? Like, what do the practices actually look like? What does it mean, you know, if I'm in a room and I have a participant who is, falling asleep in the corner or um, mm-hmm. really, really angry with everyone, you know, 
And I was like, I have some ideas. I have some thoughts. I have a lot of experiences with that. Here's what I can offer. And uh, a huge portion of the book is actually from other Black feminists who are facilitating actively right now. I asked a lot of people to just tell me, you know, their little secrets, their best practices, their hints and suggestions for, for you know, how to do this. And um, I'm really pleased with what came together. I've, I've gotten good feedback from people that they are finding it useful as something to have. You know, I imagine it being like something you have in your pocket or in your facilitation bag <laughs> that yeah. you can pull out and help yourself prepare for, for, you know, doing this work. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a, it, I mean, I think that's a really great way to to describe the work and it makes a lot of sense that this is the product of that, right? Because it's a really wonderful blend of uh reflection and analysis but also like action and skill building and like, you know, I was just saying to Kim before you hopped on, um, you know, it's there's there's a lot to it. You know, it's a very substantive book. It's not just kind of and and no shade to this kind of book, but like it's not just kind of a book that is simply sat back and, and read, you know, there's, there's things that right. you can do, particularly with, uh, in the second half of the book. Um, and so I was wondering, you know, maybe you could say a few words, you started to talk a little bit about uh, the structure of the book and in, in terms of the first half of it. Can you talk a little bit about like how the book is, is structured? Um, and its yeah. parts? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not supposed to do this, but I, I do want to tell you the idea of how I was going to structure it. Um, and then what, what came out because Initially, I wanted a choose-your-own-adventure book, um, and it was going to be, you know, two books in one. Like, if you opened it from one side, you were going to get a mediation book, and if you opened it from the other, it was going to be a facilitation book, and I had all these plans. Oh, cool. Um, and then, yeah, I thought so. I was like, this is going to be the coolest <laughs> book that ever happened. Um, and then as I was, like, writing it and working on it, I realized that even though that was a really fun idea, it was going to be more confusing <laughs> for the reader and, and not necessarily like easy to access. And so I'm still going to figure out some way to do a choose your own adventure book, but it might be fiction or something, you know, children's mm -hmm. book or something. Um, but so the way this one is structured is the, the first part I intro, I always try to give an intro that lets people know, like, who are they listening to? Who are they reading from? Because um, I think that's important, you know, to give a, a lineage of yourself um, when you're trying to offer something that you've learned. It's like, where did you learn it? <laughs> Who did you learn Absolutely. from? Absolutely. So, um, so that's in there. And then there's this whole section of Black feminist wisdom that is um, all kinds of brilliant organizers and thinkers. So Prentice Hemphill on, on boundaries, Alexis um, Pauline Gums on breath, Sage Crump on culture, Malkia Devich Cyril on grief. And how all of those things play out in the room when we're facilitating. My sister Autumn on consensus, um, really great work there. And then the second half of it moves according to um, the elements of emergent strategy. So if you've read emergent strategy, there's six elements basically that I identified as like these are kind of the main ingredients for getting in right relationship with change. And it's adaptation, fractals, um, beginning to think in nonlinear and iterative ways, decentralizing and, and thinking about interdependence, uh, figuring out what resilience looks like, particularly in the form of transformative justice, and then creating more possibilities. So those six elements are, the whole book then is organized in those six elements. What are the kind of basics? And each one I try to give really brief thoughts 
on, you know, like just one of the, the, I was really inspired by the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu and how much um, that text is able to communicate in, you know, a sentence or a brief paragraph, almost a poetics of teaching. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I was like, are there things that feel essential enough that I can make them that brief? So there's in each one a section of like, what are the brief basic thoughts to understand about this? What are some in-depth practices in each one that I can offer up? And then there's a section on what does mediation look like in this area? So, you know, if you're looking at fractals, it's like, what are brief thoughts on fractals? What are some deeper practices around fractals? And then what is fractal mediation? You know, like what are the aspects of mediation that are fractal and can be held in that way? And there's the biggest chunk in that second half is actually in the interdependence one, which I think makes sense for a facilitation book. You know, it's really what we're learning about is relationality Mm -hmm. and how to be in relationship differently. So the biggest chunk in there is practices around caring for each other, practices around creating a space where a lot of people can lead, things like that. Um, And there's a whole section on kitchen table mediation, which I, um, that's what I called the the way that I do mediation, which is really like, you have to be able to kind of set it up wherever you are. I think sometimes we get really precious about things like, oh, you know, if we're not in a very, you know, quiet space with no one around and we planned it for years, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not going to work. But what I found is much more often I was in almost emergency mediation moments. It would pop up in the middle of a meeting and it was clear that we weren't going to be able to continue. So I developed a methodology that could work, you know, kind of wherever we were, like just pull ourselves into a corner and go. So, um, so all of that is in that second half of the book. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. You know, you describe your body of work as being about attention, uh, from Mm -hmm. how to advance organizing work to what we can learn from nature to how we treat each other. You've given us some beautiful offerings for how to think about and engage in movement work. And um, in this book, you focus on holding change, right? And you say that, quote, to hold change is to make it easy for people within shared intentions to be around each other and move towards their vision and values facilitate and or to navigate conflict in a way that is generative and accountable mediate can you share an end quote um can you share a little bit about (laughs) the process right i want to make sure people understand those are your words not mine um you know i appreciate it i appreciate it absolutely absolutely our you know citation politics matter and i I learned that from from someone absolutely um so can you share a little bit about the process of holding space for change and how this can help us become more skilled facilitators and mediators yeah absolutely i mean you know i think one of the first things to understand for people is that change even though, especially for organizers, we, we want change. That's what we say. <laughs> we are yeah. organizing and trying to make change happen. But many of us struggle with, you know, when we're actually on the precipice of change, figuring out how to do it and how to live into it and what it means to create changes that can sustain and last. And what happens is, you know, in that process, we can get really stuck. We can start actually sabotaging the changes we said we wanted. Um, mm-hmm. We can get, we can kind of fall back into the most familiar practices, even if they're the ones we don't want, which is why 
you know, I think the nonprofit industrial complex exists because yep. we, you know, we were like, we want freedom right now, but <laughs> let's make another hierarchical structure in which one person is responsible for all the resources and everything. Right. Else. You know, <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, that clearly doesn't, you know, embody the thing that we're trying to get to, but it's familiar to us. It's familiar to philanthropy. And so we find ourselves recreating that form over and over again. So holding change, one part of it is kind of honoring the humanity of that, honoring that as much as we want change, it's actually harder to do, harder to live into and practice. And so then how do we figure out um, all the parts of it that are in, in our bodies that need to change? So there's a, that's why it was important to me to include Prentice and Alexis and folks who could really talk about the fact that there's an embodied aspect of this. There's Absolutely. a way that our breath has to change when we're mm -hmm. in a room. And, and I'll just, you know, the number of times I've been in a space where we needed to have a generative conflict and it's like everyone caught their breath and wasn't breathing. And mm -hmm. just inviting breath back in in that moment allowed us to continue the conversation. Things like that that seem small, but they actually change the trajectory of a movement sometimes. Absolutely. So I wanted to name those kind of things. And I, I also wanted to say the holding part matters. So one of the things I, I talk a lot about is the kind of um, inner work of a facilitator which is to get out of the way. And this is where I feel like facilitation is actually a very distinct art from organizing. And I think mm -hmm. you, can, you can be good at both of them, but I don't think you can often do both of them in the same moment. Um, because organizing, you're really moving an agenda. You have a clear plan of what you wanna see as the outcome, right? That you're trying to get people towards. Whereas for facilitation, you have to, I say, release your way in order to hear the way. You have to Absolutely. hear what is collective and what is emerging from the group that is true. Often, it's helping them see the step they can take. You know, inside of a big vision, there's always a next step. And sometimes we get so, so caught up in the massive change we want that we can't see what the next step actually is that move us in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the work of the facilitator, you know, to be like, okay, all right, we want to abolish prisons. Well, you know, how are we doing accountability and justice work here in this in this space? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Um, one of the things I was thinking many things as I read this um, and uh, I've done facilitation for a very long time, um, mm -hmm. but I'm also a teacher, you know, and mm -hmm. um, uh, we're going to get to this question later, but, um, you know, hinting at it, um, <laughs> it's, you know, um, the one of the takeaways for me was that you know as a facilitator bringing an awareness to that very moment right like you said yeah. catching your breath right and taking inventory right then and learning and knowing that you have to be very fluid and that's something that you know is very much in keeping with the teachings of the Tao Te Ching um and mm -hmm. you know be that um fluidity Right. Like you really mm -hmm. have to um, bring that intentionality into the space and remove your ego. Right. Whereas mm -hmm. teaching, I feel, mm -hmm. is more ego centric. 
(laughs) It is. Uh And there's a reason why we have a prestige economy and people want, you know, the credentials and all these things. I mean, they're obviously there are people who genuinely want to teach and are great teachers. But I think that, you know, facilitation really calls on a very different skill set and a very different um, set of imperatives uh, as Mm -hmm. you're as you're there, like you're there not to be you, you're there for the group, right? And you're working in service of the group as opposed to, you know, I'm the expert here and I'm going to tell you something. Um, So I thought that that was really, um, really beautiful and really well laid out throughout the entire text. And as someone who's like, you know, I have an entire library on uh, facilitation and, you know, um, a lot of the things are, you know, like from corporate facilitation, because that's right. what the program, <laughs> yeah. you know, that I that I went through yeah. trained us in was, you know, it's really very much about, you know, how do we preserve the status quo? You know, they didn't say that. That's that wasn't the mission of, of the program. <laughs> but, you know, it was there. It, it's there. So to have um, resources. Right. And, you know, you say like just the same way as I have other books that are in my toolkit that I can say, okay, this is, you know, how we want to hold this workshop or whatever. Um, This is an invaluable resource, right. In terms of getting you to think about, um, and I, I guess I'm blowing my own questions here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Getting you to think about, um, self-assessing right constantly uh self-assessing and anyway there was supposed to be a question in there but i think that (laughs) that came out to be in yeah in on the self-assessment pieces i i think that my facilitation radically changed when i allowed myself to not know the answer and there was something about it you know that's where i feel like one of the big distinctions with teaching is is that in teaching you know, especially Western model of teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of what you're doing is saying, I know the answer already, and I'm trying to teach you this right answer, and then, you know, continuously test to make sure you actually got it. And in facilitation, it's like, I I don't know, you know, we're not free yet. I I don't know. And I, I believe that you all might be able to figure it out, or something that you can do here together might actually increase the liberation for the collective. And my job is to support you so that you can do that work and to kind of clear out the way of anything that could get in the way. And I think of that, you know, um, that sport in, in Winter Olympics where I, I think, is it curbing? What is it called? What, curling? Oh, curling. They're like, right? yes. It's like they're trying to move this little puck along and there's like, there's these other folks who are like brush, 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 brushing anything out of the way that could actually like impact the, the, the flow and the direction of that little puck, right? And sometimes I think that's the work of, of holding change too. It's like, you know, there's a direction that is in this group that wants to unfurl and be known. And how do we move the things, real things, you know, systemic oppression things out of the way so that that direction can actually be heard and met and responded to. And I, I was excited because I got to add some principles to emergent strategy uh, for this book. And, you know, I got to bring transform yourself to transform the world into this, right? That like how you show up in the room as a facilitator is, is going to vastly impact what's possible for the people in that space. 
Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And if Absolutely. you still kind of dominate them, <laughs> you know, um, you might do it. You might dominate them the whole session. They might even like that. You know, a lot of times we don't acknowledge that we really appreciate someone coming in and just taking control. We want to know the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We want someone to know, you know, but I think the harder work is to sort of step back and be like, I, I don't know that part, but I suspect that this is the kind of conversation that might lead to an answer. Yeah. And absolutely. are we willing to have that conversation? Do we have the right people in the room? And so on and so absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll just, um, I'll, I'll just say this um, as a follow-up to that. Um, one of the things that I've noticed uh, in terms of, you know, teaching and it's maybe useful for other people out there um, was that, you know, teaching does have its own imperatives um, mm-hmm. and you describe that, you know, like the transfer of information and there are certain things, mm-hmm. right. That we have to get across. But, um, the longer I've been teaching, I've been teaching now for 20 some years, like 23, 24 years, um, and doing facilitation for just as long is, mm-hmm. um, that they can inform each other. Right. And yeah, they yeah. can inform each other in really, incredible ways. And now that I'm teaching, you know, courses um, on like theories of change or, um, you know, what have you uh, for people in, you know, social justice movements, um, that my way of teaching has really changed, has really shifted radically. I mean, that's, you know, I think of that as like, there's the work that Augusta Ball did, the work of Paulo Freire, there's, there's so many folks who have really been thinking about education and mm-hmm. moving education outside of that, you know, singular direction, like passing information in one way. And I definitely feel like what I'm offering up is in the lineage of that. And, you know, I definitely also know that because I, as I got older inside of my role as a facilitator, there would come times, and this is part of why I included Makani Timba in the book, there would come times where I was like, ooh, I actually do know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like this, this, you know, I was like, some of this stuff is mysterious, but some of this stuff we have done before or we, we yeah. have strategic in, input on. And it's also figuring out when is the appropriate moment to bring those things exactly. in. Exactly. Right? To be exactly. a whole human being and to say, okay, for the most part, you know, I'm here to support your learning and your leadership. And then there's going to be moments where, you know, I can see something that maybe you can't, you know, as, as someone who's coming in from outside. And, you know, it, it, you have to really, um, I think, be super mindful to do that well because it's tempting, you know, to, to use the power of being in front of the room to just go off. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You're like, well, here's exactly. what I think you should do. You know, a lot of people exactly. become facilitators because, we do have ideas or there is a sort of natural inclination towards being able to see a possibility. But I think that there's that, you know, it's a dance that we're always in and of humility, bringing humility into how we're doing our, our work and Absolutely. and not being so humble that we quiet ourselves when we're needed. Exactly. But I think that it's also like figuring out, you know, in my dream, because I think you all asked us earlier, I was like, who is this book for? And in my dream, it's, it's, you know, anyone who's trying to create social change in in any way, you know, any movement worker, teachers, social workers, I, I think there are so many people who are like, their work is really wanting to change these paradigms. Like, if you're trying to create change, I think the book will be of use to you. And 
I, you know, I'm getting responses from people who are like, I don't think of myself that way, but it's also useful to be. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, like maybe you're in the status quo and you, and the book unleashes something for you. And that's cool. But when I was working on it, I was imagining myself 20 years ago, mm-hmm. coming into movement work and, you know, being asked, I was often asked to facilitate before I knew what that was, you know, that mm-hmm. that was a term <laughs> or that was a particular role. Yep. And I, I was thinking of people like that. So I'm like, I think this is in your nature. I think for many of us, this is in our nature. And it, it would help to have a resource we can turn to to be like, okay, I want to help my community and I've got a gift here. How do I deploy it well? How do I use it well? Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. I'm I'm sitting here like, yep, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, it really is true. And, you know, it's like, I think it also, um, along with humility, requires great restraint, right? Because yeah. if we, if we've done all the readings and we've been part of, you know, the movements and we've been doing all this work and whatever, yeah. it really is tempting to say, well, hold on. You know, um, and like you already said, knowing mm-hmm. when it's good and it's going to, you know, move things forward, knowing when to insert yourself, you know, is really key. <laughs> to yeah, that, that self-awareness, that self-awareness you know, is such a, you know, it's you know. a spiritual kind of work. And one of the things, one of the sections in the book that I, I really love <laughs> is there's a section on problem participants. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the first things I say in there is like, that's not really a a friend, you know, it's not really problem participants problem. We don't want people to be the problem. But one of the things that happens is we're all embodying these systems. We're all embodying Mm -hmm. these shapes that we have been socialized into, including facilitators. And I love having this section where it's like, really drop into the awareness of how these shapes show up in a space, Um, like what kind of patterns you might see in the participant's behavior and how can you find the offering inside of that behavior, right? That there's always a gift inside of what people are bringing. And it might be the gift of we need better boundaries. We need a clearer mission or, you know, this person is actually raising up that there's some grief or some pain or some harm that's happened here. There's something structural that might need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe it's going to be more interesting and that's why everyone's falling asleep, you know? Like just really being able to to lean into that wisdom and that self-awareness that, you know, your participants, I, I don't know if you've ever held a group that was mostly facilitators in a meeting, but mm-hmm. we're the worst, you know, we are yeah, the oh, no, worst terrible. to have <laughs> in a meeting. And that piece I, I wanted say, to also name out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like I was just like, you know, we're not above the people that we hold in these spaces. We mm-hmm. also need freedom. We also need to be seen and held and heard. And I, I hope that that helps with, you know, how people approach facilitation. It's like, these these are, are people trying to create change, just like you, and they're flawed, just like you, and they need a little magic, just like you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to um, shift gears here. Um, in the next section of the book where you talk about Black feminist wisdom, um, you know, I'm curious, what are some of the things that you learned uh, from Black feminists that can help us um, to better mm-hmm. understand this work? And, you know, we, Brian and I have outlined some of the things that stood out to us, but I want to hear from oh, you. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, one thing, my friend Princess Hemphill, um, 
said this beautiful word on boundaries, which is that boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously. Yes. And I, I say this, I probably say this once a day now. <laughs> this, mm-hmm. And so, you know, for this book, I was like, Prentice, can you write an essay about that, about boundaries and, and how we can learn them? Because I think so much of what we're doing as facilitators, and I didn't know this when I first started facilitating, but so much of what we're doing is helping people recognize where a boundary is needed and mm-hmm. articulate the boundary, you know, actually get it in motion, actually get it spoken, and raise the potential for it to exist. You know, so that's one of the big lessons. Uh, my sister, Autumn, I think of her as like a consensus goddess, like she's been mm-hmm. behind the scenes for 20 years, teaching consensus tra- trainings and workshops. And, you know, she keeps it so simple, but I know major movements that <laughs> have been very successful um, in in part are touched by the work that she's done as a consensus teacher. And she really helped me because I'm an efficiency, you know, person. I'm like, I'm a Virgo. Like, what's, the, what's the quick way we can do this? And <laughs> I used to be like, consensus? Like, that's going to take forever. Like, we need to, you know, who is the one person who can decide this quickly, you know? Um, and she really helped me understand that as you build trust in a group, you build the capacity for an authentic consensus, which then leads to much more effective work because people are really excited about and lined up behind the things that they're committed to. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that is actually, you know, it's a different organization. You start working in a different collective when mm-hmm. everybody's like, I want to be here and I want to be doing this. Um, Alexis Pauline Gums taught me a ton about breathing and bringing breath in. I mean, you can hear it probably from my conversation patterns is, I get excited and I forget to breathe. My like, go, you know, I'm just like go, like I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Same, right? <laughs> and you know, there's, there's a, an offering from Alexis that's like, wait, what did Harriet say about this? And can we take a minute and just breathe into that Harriet quote? My people are free. You know, what does mm-hmm. it look like to bring that breath into this space? And the first time I experienced this with her, it was so profound. And I, I learned that even if I change my breathing as a facilitator, without doing anything else in the room, I can change the possibility in that room, Absolutely. right? One person breathing um, invites another person to breathe. And, you know, these things, there's so many pieces in that section um, that, that just feel like, oh, oh, you know, I remember... I mean, this is my community. You know, these are people that I have co-facilitated with. I can vouch for, you know, like I've been there. I've seen what they can do in a room. And in that working alongside them, I got to learn from them. And it felt so important to me to shine a light on the work of facilitation, because I think that a lot of times it goes unseen. And, you know, in general, it's not about giving attention. You know, it's like you don't become a facilitator because you want to be a rock star. But there is something that can happen where the work goes unseen so much that people forget how important it is and mm-hmm. how much it shapes things. And so I wanted to kind of bring a spotlight to these people who I think are really shaping history, um, have you know, have shaped it and will shape it. And in in highlighting that, I really it did some healing work for me. You know, it's like oh, like you know, I my work matters. 
And mm-hmm. I think every mm-hmm. human needs to know that, that like, oh, facilitation matters. Like, it's not just a convenient add-on to the, to the meeting. Like, it can change, again, it can change the course of history to have the right person holding space, holding space for a group of people to go through a process together. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And you picked, uh, you picked two of the people. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because That's cool. it was just like, you know, when I, um, I, I, I've been following um, Alexis's work for a very long time and um, I've assigned uh, some of her work in my courses, you know, mm-hmm. so um, okay. reading. Oh, it's, it's just, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, reading, um, her um her offering on you know um on on breath um yeah. and breath work was uh was so like you put it healing um yeah. and one of the things that stood out to me was you know um one the concept of facilitation um as breath work right and um a couple of other things that stood out um include uh breathing as a shared resource and yeah, breathing yeah. as a sacred practice right mm-hmm. yeah. and oh my gosh like i've read that and i'm like uh yes you know and i yes. <laughs> reading something and it's like you know like intuitively you know it or whatever and then somebody gives words you know and yes. gives it form and shape to the thing that you yes. kind of have known for a long time but never quite put together in those ways and okay. that's what you know that's what reading um all of these uh i'm calling them offerings because i feel that's what they are yeah. mm-hmm. generous I, I offerings you know um uh for us that you know for folks that, that are doing and want to do this work and um the the apprentice um apprentices quote that is something that i have been sharing ever since it, i saw it circulating on social media whenever that yes. was um and that's how i came across it i was like um exactly like duh exactly like, it is one of those things where it's like so crystal clear that you have to change in order to you know you're like oh that's what it is you know it's mm-hmm. not punishing someone um exactly. i'm not you know it's not trying to cause harm to anyone it's not even looking down on someone you know it's really a love act and that loving yourself is actually a really important part of it and i think for for people in movement um the game change of that that is like oh we get to have boundaries mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. and we can be loving our communities wildly and still have boundaries and, you know, a lot of us come into movement from a point of grief, right? That, mm-hmm. that we lost something or someone, someplace um, that we loved. And, and so it brings us into movement and we want to give our whole self to it. And giving your whole self, it's really hard to do that with boundaries intact, right? So that, I, I love to me the dance between Prentice's boundary work and Malkia's grief work. Everyone, you know, if you're sitting in a room full of people who are saying, we want to save the earth, a lot of times the unspoken thing is because we feel this massive anticipatory grief. Um, we feel fear. We're feeling longing. We want to, we need, it, we feel urgency. It feels like a crisis. Like we have to save the whole planet. And mm-hmm. like, how inside of that framework do we still set boundaries? How do we figure out a way to work that is sustainable to our bodies? How do we do that? You know, and, mm. and, I think we're figuring out how to do that, but I do feel like these offerings help, 
you know, open a path and open a way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I mean, um, the, the offerings, the section you're, you're describing is uh, really, I mean, there, I have a lot of favorite parts of the book, but uh, really a powerful section and the section that uh, the sections Kim pulled out, um, you know, I, it was funny to hear you uh, sort of note the same ones. And, and you mentioned, um, you mentioned the piece on grief there uh, at the end. And that was one that really resonated with me. And, and, you know, I was wondering, um, you know, I would love you, you shared some of your thoughts on it there, you know, if there's anything else yeah. that you wanted to reflect on. But, you know, I, I was also really intrigued by this idea that like our our lack of capacity to uh, grieve collectively and have like skills uh, that allow us to grieve in these spaces, how that influences certain outcomes or demands or expectations about what spaces or movements can achieve or what our goals should be or uh, things yeah. like that. And I, and I was wondering if that's, you know, something that you could speak on or something that you've experienced in your own facilitation work uh, when it comes to the subject of grief. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I'll share that there was a number of times, especially in the past four or five years, um, as we began to be more um, outspoken about the pace of Black death, there was just a number of times where I would find myself coming into a room with a beautiful agenda, <laughs> you know, and a beautiful plan, and we were just going to do this work, and then you come in and we find out that someone else is, has gone, someone else has been taken mm-hmm. from us. And um, especially if it had happened in that local community, um, it was like, oh, this, this grief is in the room, this ghost is in the room, the anger is in the room, um, the longing is in the room. And if I'm going to facilitate this room, then I have to be wide enough to hold that. And I have to not say, all right, you know, that's sad, let's keep going. But I have to recognize that there's a large chance that that grief will actually shift what may happen in the room. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the grief speeds things up because we recognize, you know, this situation is so much more urgent than we're planning for. And there's a, a model that is not in that book. I think I speak about it in emergent strategy, but movement generation is one of my favorite organizations. Like I'm such a fan girl of them. And they talk about this, they talk about this sort of three strategy model, three circles. And they talk about where we are now and like what we actually know that we need in order to create change, what's politically possible and the false solutions we get offered, right? And I love thinking about this because I think grief can keep us away from the false solutions. Mm-hmm. Grief keeps us more honest, <laughs> you know? Grief and Nakia is such a great teacher in this. She's she's experienced a ton of intimate grief um, in her life, and she's been organizing throughout that entire time. And she's like, we have to not lie to each other about this, um, and we have to be up to the task. Like we have to give our hands. You know, she says, give our hands to grief. Um, what does it look like when we think about fighting? Um, to also consider how we hold each other in the losses that we're navigating and I think for me at least, it really shifted how I thought of organizing when it was like, this isn't just an isolated campaign um, for you know some slight reform and some slight improvement. Right. Uh, really what we're trying to do is eradicate the harm, the unnecessary harm, the unnecessary grief we're experiencing. Uh, we wanna honor what we've lost 
and we want to find ways to to create changes that'll last. So that's some of it. You know, I, I keep learning right. about grief and movement, but that piece where it's like we're in movement in large part because of grief, mm-hmm. and we need to be in movements where we don't lose people to grief. So that's the other thing. You know, when people lose someone or lose something in movement, a lot of times right now it's like they disappear. Yeah, we don't hold right. them well. We don't make sure that right. You know, yep. let's make sure there's a meal train for you, and let's give you some space and time and you know, I think that there's grief well held can become a celebration. You know, it really is an act of love. And yeah. we, we're all going to experience it, you know, like that it's because death is inevitable, grief is inevitable. And right. um, so there's so much there, you know, where it's like if we can learn to do this. I will say this other piece that, that has been really ringing true for me lately is we're trying to end systems of oppression and harm that we are deeply embedded in. And I yep. think some of us don't acknowledge the fact that, you know, even though I'm like, I'm an anti-capitalist, and there's also grief around relinquishing the ease and comfort of, mm-hmm. of what capitalism has allowed, potentially mm-hmm. the travel, the kind of relationship, the kind of in-person networks that we've been able to have across time and space. Some of those things we are trying to figure out, like how do we evolve in a way that that's not causing harm? So. All of that, those layers are all in there. And I, I do think as a facilitator, grief deepens and sharpens the work that you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to jump in real quick, yeah. Brian, because I want to share a quick follow-up to that. Um, yes. yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I have uh, two sons that are currently uh, sentenced to life in prison without um, the possibility of parole. So LWAP. Oh, wow. And, um you know, I have been, thank you. Um, it, I, I could talk about grief for a long time um, yes. <laughs> and write about it ad nauseum. But, um, yes. you know, I've been asking, begging for resources on grief and ways to support mm. folks on the inside because, you know, it's like, especially like last year, there were so yeah. many people as, as we were dealing, all dealing with our, you know, grief out here. Um, yeah. There were people in prison who were losing people both on the inside and on the outside and not yeah. having um, the, the connections and not being able yeah. to communicate with folks uh, out here, not being able to attend uh, funerals or memorials yeah. or That's any right. of the things um, that allow us to process grief, uh, not necessarily move through it, you know, or get over yeah, it, just, right. to, just to process it and sit with it. And I think that, you know, um, one of the things that I'm going to do this week is send um, a few copies of your book inside um, because it Thank is, it, it really is um, transformative. And mm-hmm. I think it would help um, folks. I know it'll, you know, I talk about grief and uh, ways to support folks um, inside with my sons all of the time because they're dealing with, you know, death all of the time. All like the they're time. seeing it yeah. every day almost. And, um, you know, on top of all of the death that we're seeing on television and you know globally Mm -hmm. and uh and what have you so i think that this is 
something um, that, you know, they can have in their toolkits um, and something that will help them. So I'm, I'm sharing that with you so that you know, um, it, you know, it's this, and I already know that, you know, your work is, you know, <laughs> is having an impact um, on a lot well, of Well, and you know, but, um, especially the incarcerated community, I am so deeply moved right now by what I'm learning and hearing about organizing that's happening behind bars. And I don't know if you've seen, I'm trying to get everyone to see, maybe I can set up a screening of this, but this movie, Since I've Been Down, I'm, I'm doing an event with Gilda Shepard tonight, the director of it. And mm -hmm. I, it, it's not fully out yet. She's still working on, you know, figuring out how to more widely release it, um, but she's doing screenings of it. But it's about the kind of organizing people are doing in, in incarcerated settings where it's like, there's nowhere else to go. There's no, um, you know, we don't just get to walk away from each other because we don't get along. We have yep. to actually figure this out together. We have to figure this out together. And I think there's something really profound happening in that space that we have to really pay attention to. Absolutely. And I'm learning a ton. You know, I'm like, oh, there's, I think, a lot of maybe yeah. some of the best facilitators alive are behind Indeed. bars. Yep. Right, um, because you have to really figure out how to keep people coming back into a space and 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 working for their liberation. So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I have been sending my books in. You know, I find out about people. So, you know, follow up with me because I can support. You know, you figuring out how to do bulk orders and stuff like that. Because um, I just, you know, I want to make sure the resources get there, and I also, and uh, I want to gather stories and do an anthology about people who are organizing behind bars. Um, and Absolutely. those who are doing emergent, you know, emergent things back there. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. there's yeah. something really crucial right now where I think people are like, oh, I've got to save people behind bars. And it's like, no, we need, no. we need no. to be taking no. the leadership of people who are, who are behind bars and yep. those who've experienced incarceration. Really, they know something about the preciousness of life and community that we all need to know. Exactly. And it may not yeah. use the vocabulary um, that yeah. you use uh, and have that, you know, um, the frameworks and all of these things, but they're developing mm -hmm. their own frameworks and they have their own exactly. you know, set of principles and, you know, exactly. things that are guiding them. And I think that that's something that, again, you know, I've, I've yeah. seen. And they know how it feels to be disposed, you know. Like, exactly. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, they know how it feels to be disposed. And, and I'm like, we need to understand, you know, there's, there's none of that, you know, some of us are better, whatever. It's just like, we know what it's like to be disposed. And, and that's mm -hmm. originally what brought us together. I think so many of us in movement work is like, we know what it's like, you know, whether it's because of indigeneity or blackness or queerness or transness, or, we know what it's like to be fully rejected from mm -hmm. the society and we need to let that help us build our solidarity with each other. And, yeah. and I think too often we let it become a reason we silo and a reason we separate. And I think we're always losing when that happens, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. We're always losing when we're allowing ourselves to be divided by constructs that we didn't create for ourselves. And I think there's so much about holding space that is holding people in their complexity, mm -hmm. you know? in their current in their in their current iterations <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah, yeah i'm yeah. glad it's resonating yeah absolutely and i think that you know i i've learned so much from uh from 
my sons, uh, but also from a lot of other people that I know that are um, or have been inside. Uh, and, you know, the you talked about, you know, disposability. Um, they understand that so very well, yeah. um, so very well. And uh, and a lot of that stuff, you know, has certainly made it into my work um and you know as a teacher as organizer as you know all of the things um because how can it not right mm -hmm. and i i'm not <laughs> quite sure how um how people can compartmentalize um and yeah. separate those things out because for me those you know if i'm teaching about theories you know and i'm talking about you know cabral or you know joy james yeah. or whatever um you know, for me, this is life. Like, this is life and death. Like, it's that serious. It's not, yeah. you know, something that we're kind of playing at or, you know, uh, we're just, you know, this is what we're trying to save. You talk about saviorism right, and, right. you know, wanting to save a community or whatever. And I'm like, I don't want those folks with that mentality meddling <laughs> yeah. in yeah. any of the shit that we already have going on because we already have enough problems. Right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. The people who are already engaged in this, you know, understand it intimately. Right. And yeah. I think that, you know, going back to um, our earlier conversation about humility and restraint, I think that that's an important thing that we can bring to this work because a lot of people enter work um, or teaching in prisons or whatever as if, you know, the folks on the inside don't know anything and they're just like empty receptacles right. that are just right. waiting to be enlightened by, you know, this person who was just so generous and kind to come in and give their time. And I'm like, I resent that shit so much. That's right. <laughs> I'm like with you, you know. But you know what, Kim, what you're what you're talking about too is really getting to what I think of as as one of the issues that happens in organizing. Period, which is you know when we're organizing from a charity standpoint, which is like mm -hmm. I am doing something good for these other poor people who need some help. Um, I think we're always in, moving in the wrong direction. And I think when we are organizing from a, a, a place of there's something about how I show up in this world, in this system that can be course corrected. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it can be course corrected by the labor that I give. It can be course corrected by who I turn to as a teacher. It can be course corrected in so many ways. Yeah. So I, I'm really excited by, by that. <laughs> that yeah, absolutely. Together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, um, yeah. you know, I guess with these last few minutes, uh, you know, if you yeah. have a if you have a second to say just a few more uh, things before you go, is there anything that we have left unsaid about this book uh, or your intentions mm -hmm. behind it that you that you want to share with everybody? Um, and you know, is there anything else that you sort of want to shout out or uh, or let people know about that you're working on or or anything that you'd like them to support right now? Well. You know, I think on the book, I I do think that it works better for people if they have read Emergent Strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it works really well as a nonlinear book, you know, like, which I wanted to be the case. <laughs> um, but I do think it works for people like if, you, if you're like, I'm going to read this piece and then that piece and then, you know, skip over here. That's doable. Um, I think a lot of times people are just daunted by books. There's so many to read. There's so much to cover. 
And so I really try to make books that are readable by people who don't have time to read, um, where they can, you know, kind of grab it and go and get what they need. Um, I'm working on an audio book um, for this one. I'm getting all the different contributors to record their sections, and I'm going to oh, be recording mine. That's wonderful. So I'm excited about that. And my team at AK, you know, we're learning how to how to get that audiobook stuff happening. So someday we're going to get to the place where, you know, when the book comes out, the audiobook is also coming out. But, um, you know, we're the little engine that could, <laughs> you know, the little mm-hmm. engine press that could. Um, and uh, so those are really important things to know about the book. And then in terms of what I'm working on, I just released my first fiction, um, my first novella, which is oh, called wow. Reavers. And it's all about grief. <laughs> it's all about grief in Detroit. Um, a plague of black death that is overwhelming the city and what happens how do we recover how do we um, recenter so uh, I'm working on that now the first the first novella is out and there's two more in the trilogy that I'm writing Um, and I'm trying to do a lot with fiction right now you know just trying to explore like what are what are the many ways we can tell the story of our liberation so that's what I'm up to that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, I want to say thank you so much for everything uh, that you do, not just for being here today and sharing your time and wisdom with us, but um, for all of your uh, offerings over the years. Thank you so much. And um, I want to close out with a on a on a much lighter note. What is your playlist right now? It's like <laughs> what is your current playlist of the moment? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Let's see. Let me go look. I'm like, what have I been listening to? Um, I've been really loving. There's this singer. Well, there's the Resistance Revival Corps. Um, they have this song, Everybody Deserves to Be Free, which I've been listening to on repeat and just absolutely loving. There's this kind of sexy song called Already There by Nesta. But I'm loving, like, when I put it on, it just immediately makes me start to wind my hips and kind of relax my mood. Nice. <laughs> um, so that I've been really loving. And then Brittany Howard, who I adore, released a remix album of her, um, what was that last album called? I'm trying to remember what, hold on, let me see if I can look, I'm looking, you know, I'm always like, I don't use my brain anymore for this thing. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, oh, it's just, it, Google's there. Um, okay. So it was her last album was called Jamie, and mm-hmm. this is called Jamie Reimagined, and it's just got all these remixes. So there's a remix of Short and Sweet with Bonnie Vare that I love. There's a remix of Georgia with Emily King that I love. Um, so that that album is just like taking a very kind of a deep and and solemn album and remixing it all so there's a lot more like dance and upbeatness. Nice. Even though the content is still you know yeah. kind of kind of soft and low, so. Nice. Well, Adrian, (laughs) thank you so much for being here. It's been such a joy um, to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Brian, do you have uh, anything else you want to add? No, yeah. Thank you so much. You've been very generous with your time. And I'm I'm really glad that we get to share this book uh, with folks listening to this. And we'll link to everything. And uh, and I I hope you you keep in touch. And um, absolutely. And thank you again. 
We'd like to thank you for listening to Beyond Prisons. If you find our work valuable, we ask that you head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to Beyond Prisons. You can support our work by sharing this and past episodes on social media. If you're financially able to support us, you can do so for as little as $1 per month over on Patreon at patreon.com backslash beyondprisons. As always, we'd love to hear from you, so please email us at beyondprisonspodcast at gmail.com. Take care.